Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm always trying to like struggle to find out what exactly Jesus means whenever he says that, because you hear a lot of different things because it's such a jarring statement, a jarring opening line. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We have to wrestle with it because we want the kingdom of heaven. We have to wrestle with, well, then what does poor in spirit mean? And so a lot of different preachers have said a lot of different things. And after doing a little bit of research, I think the best explanation that fits with the whole of the Christian vision of the gospel is that the poor in spirit is the person who knows that he has nothing good to offer to God, nothing good of himself to offer to God. Everything that he has is from God, and he remains a poor beggar before the Lord. That is the definition of poor in spirit. But while that sounds, you know, like nice, fits within the Christian vision, I want to share with you an experience that I had yesterday that is now going to be the content of my nightmares instead of speaking in public undressed or being uh, eaten alive by a tiger. Uh, I had gone to our women's retreat yesterday and pulled up And as I walked into the room, I had just uh, witnessed the end of an affirmation circle by 35 women, you know, hugging each other, crying and everything. There's something within man that says, I have to go to the bathroom immediately, you know, (laughs) Uh, whenever I see that, you know, just walk by, keep your head down, don't make eye contact with anyone. Um, And like, and that was a good thing, you know, like to even though it terrifies me, I can, I can say that's objectively a good thing, you know, like to affirm one another's gifts, to be in that space, and so to like, to show someone their goodness, but at the same time, remove envy and jealousy. But the question is, how does that experience of recognizing one's own gifts and seeing the goodness that other people see in you with this reality of blessed are the poor in spirit, they have nothing good of themselves to offer to God. How do those two things line up? How are we to understand, I think, a central question about ourselves, what in us is good that God loves? What in us is good that God loves? It's a central question of our existence. Because if we don't know then we have no reason to think that God loves us except out of random choice. And if we don't know that, then it's, why do we even exist at all? And so a lot of different people throughout the ages have asked this question, but just in different ways. One being um, a priest, Pelagius, saying that, yes, we can be saved by our own efforts. Grace can come, but, but we have enough goodness in ourselves to where we can be saved in our own efforts. Or then we find out later on that that's a heresy and it's denounced. And then we find out, well, what if, you know, this heresy of semi-Pelagianism where, yeah, God does the first act, but then everything else is us, right? Um, Well, no, even that is a heresy. Basically, this question of, like, what is it in me that's inherently good? Is it my yes? Is it the fact that I can say yes to God? Well, St. Augustine is going to say, even if that is a grace 
the very fact that I even utter yes. And so what theologians are going to say, and what the church is going to say, is everything good in man is from God. And everything bad in man is from man. And so the question then becomes, what is it that God then could love in man that would make him die for us and offer us new life? And it seems at surface value a very uh, boring answer. And that is that God loves himself in man. God loves himself, man. God creates man in his own image. Like, oh, well, that's it. You know, he doesn't love the fact that I can tell a funny joke. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't treasure that. You know, like, it's that unique kind of thing that makes me me. He doesn't, he doesn't love that. It's like, no, he, he gave us that. That's not of me, that's of him. But I think we kind of balk at that answer that God loves in man what is God. Is, he makes us in his own image. For at least two reasons. One, um, this is something that is evident to us in marriage, but is not evident to us as much in our relationship with God. I think everyone has like a part of their like nine to five that is like a quirky thing, but they take like a weird inordinate pleasure in it. For me, it's whenever the first meeting with a couple for marriage we fill out this paperwork called the prenuptial inquiry. I take sick pleasure, I mean, not sick, I just like a weird pleasure in it, because there are these questions in there that you hope that no one will ever ask you again in your entire life. Um, like, did you murder your former spouse? You know, did you adopt the person that you're trying to marry? Are you related by blood? Are you stepbrother, stepsister? Like all these wacky questions, you're like, Father, are these real questions that you're asking me? It's like, I wish I could make this up. But, uh, but no, these are real questions. But then immediately after that, and everyone understands this question, is do you uh, desire to get a prenup? Do you desire to get a prenup? And almost every couple is like, no, of course not. And the answer is pretty simple. Because everything that she has, I'm going to have, and everything that I have, she is going to have. We're going to belong to each other. There's nothing that I will not share with her and that she will not share with me. We get that. And so the same is true with God. That the problem, why that is such an unflattering answer to us, is what, why does God love? He loves in us what he loves in himself is because we fail to understand that everything that God is, he offers to us. It's like St. Irenaeus says, God becomes man so that man can become God. It's an unflattering answer to us because for this two reasons. One, because we think way too much of ourselves and way too little of God. We're trying to figure out how good I am, how good I am, and we don't spend much time meditating on Jesus crucified to recognize how good he is. And that he desires, and he has in baptism, shared his virtues with us. And then two, because as the catechism says, the original sin, that man's sin whenever trust died in his heart. 
whenever trust died in his heart. We feel like God is necessarily against us. And so whenever we look for our own identity, what is good in us apart from God, what we're already saying is, let's start the prenuptial, let's start the prenuptial agreement. You know, Let's start pulling out now. I don't want my goodness to be tied up in God's goodness because I believe on the last day that God is not going to be with me or that God is not going to provide. My goodness is only found in God. And so this is why it's beautiful. At the beginning, these are the first words that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this about the kingdom of heaven. Seek it first, and all these things will be provided for you. And he says, don't worry about just like food and clothing as the Gentiles do. And he's not just talking about material food and clothing. I'll get to that. Like he's not just worried about going to Dillard's and going to Kmart, you know, Um, mainly because Kmart didn't exist even in Jesus' time, you know. Uh, So he's not talking about those things only. He's talking about being clothed with the virtues. The pagans worry about justifying themselves and showing to themselves that they are good. You will be clothed by the Father. You will have the Father's virtues. You will have my virtues shown on the cross. And that you will be fed not just with the affections of others, but with my own body and blood. Be not as the pagans. Now, this does, however, mean because we know, okay, well, if, if everything, even to the core of my being, is good that belongs to God, so much more so than do those things that I own that are not of me, maybe I feel like they are a part of me, that are not of me, belong to God as well. That blessing of the poor in spirit, that doesn't mean just in spirit, but it also means those things material as well. The heresy, another heresy of our time, is, fancy word is dualism. Basically, there's this separation between my body and my soul. It doesn't matter what my body does as long as I feel good in my spirit is probably the way that manifests itself today. But it's something that the church has wrestled with through its history and even before uh, the world has wrestled with this idea. It's been seen in things like the sexual revolution. It's been seen in things like Puritanism. But now it's perhaps manifests itself in the idea that I am my soul and the things of this world don't really matter. But if Jesus is not just going to give his good intentions but his actual body on the cross, then it means that Christ also wants our bodies and also those things that we possess with our bodies as well. Jesus does still mean do not worry so much like the Gentiles do about food and clothing for your Heavenly Father will provide those things. So today um, the bishop has asked and probably appropriately on the day of the Beatitudes um, for the priest to preach about the bishop's services appeal. And this is a way in which if we are going to provide for the spiritual needs of the church so that we can be poor in spirit, then we also need the material stuff in order to do it. The Bishop Services Appeal uh, branches out to, like, the bishop isn't buying a new armchair with the service appeal, you know? He is providing 
for and distributing to the different uh, parishes in the church that are not as well equipped as Our Lady of Wisdom is. And so I want to make a note about that, like what that material gift is supposed to look like. And the way that I've heard it explained to me well is that with tithing, there are four P's. Four P's of tithing. The first P is that is priority. Is priority. That we know that if we want the kingdom of heaven to be ours, then we must no longer wrestle with, wait, I'm going to try to build my own kingdom too. That it is a priority we see throughout the Old Testament for man to give his first fruits over to God. And so we have to have in our mind that from the moment that I get a gift or paycheck, that the first priority is the first fruits and that that is given to God. The second thing, the second P is that this gift is planned. That I have an idea of like what or who I want to give to. There are a lot of different needs in the mystical body of Christ today. You know, whether it might be like supporting a missionary or, you know, sending to food for the poor or sending to our own diocese or sending to this local church, that we plan to have a vision of, okay, well, what am I going to do with my gift? Every gift is given better if that gift is intentionally given, where it's not haphazardly given or just happenstance. But I intend to give this gift for this building up. The third P is that this is a percentage. That this is a percentage. That I'm not just giving a fixed amount, but I'm giving a percentage because... I know that I'm not, like, God isn't just pleased with burnt offerings. He wants the human heart. And so if I'm giving a percentage, then I know that I'm giving a percentage away of something that I'm attached to, something that I'm going to be enabled to be more poor in spirit, and so then inherit a greater life of grace, but then also something that's going to be more pleasing to God. We see this as the last teaching that Jesus has to sum up the whole gospel message before he goes to the cross. That he praises the widow who gives her whole livelihood and cares little about the rich people who give just the, you know, the stuff off the top. And then the last P is that our tithing is progressive. Again, that we should be growing in poverty and spirit as we grow into the spiritual life. The truth that the saints knew and why the saints were able, as they grew in goodness and holiness, able to actually grow in humility, was because they did not reflect upon their own goodness, but detached themselves from their own goodness more and more and were humbled by the infinite goodness of Christ, humbled by the infinite goodness of God. And so that expresses itself materially by my tithing getting progressively more and more generous. That I dispossess myself as much of the good things of the earth more and more because I recognize that these will not bring me eternal happiness, but the Lord alone will. And so that question, again, of what is good in me 
that God loves remains? What is the gift that God desires? He desires everything. He desires himself. Because he gives his entire self to us in the wedding feast of the Lamb, at the sacrifice of the Most Holy Eucharist. And he desires not only all of my gifts, my time, my talent, but also my treasure.